Thank you, Bernadette. That's a lot of great announcements. Uh, there's a lot of fun things to be uh, connecting with and partnering with and joining in on. Yes, I, I do want to talk about uh, joy. I want to talk about overflowing uh, with thankfulness. And, uh, you, you know, this is just uh, something that we should be experiencing uh, when we follow the Lord, uh, is this idea of having a life of joy, of being thankful. Now, here's the, the crazy irony. Now, this is where, like, the reality hits the, meets the road. Uh, as I'm preparing for this, and I'm thinking, okay, this is what I, I want to talk about. I want to talk about joy. I want to talk about thankfulness. I feel like I have a week of, like, okay, my stress level is over the top. I'm snapping at everybody. That I've, everybody that talks to me, I'm, like, just unpleasant with. And I'm, uh, I'm like, okay, but I know I'm talking about joy and thankfulness. This is, so how does this, how does this work? Well, you know, it does. It really does. Here's the weird thing. As believers, God does not promise us that everything is just going to be easy. And your life is just going to be like just super happy and, you know, constant joy. And there's just never any difficulties. No, no, it's not that. And I was wrestling with this as I'm experiencing my own uh, mixture of emotions. And I'm saying, no, there's something much more profound. It's much deeper than that. It's sort of like this. I enjoyed, I'm enjoying watching the Red Sox play. Okay, I mean, I did something that I've never done in my life. Uh, I stood up, stayed up uh, on Friday night till three o'clock. I mean, I've never watched any sporting event that long. Three o'clock. Now, I think I napped uh, somewhere in the beginning, but when I woke up, the score was still the same. The same guys were pitching, and, and I, I think a whole bunch of innings had gone by. And, and then by, you know, the 17th inning at three o'clock, I'm like, i got to go to bed. I mean, I knew as soon as I go to bed, of course, the whole game would be exciting and, and won. And indeed, I went to bed, and it ended in the 18th inning. And last night was the same thing. This is great. But I'm like, hey, Sunday's tomorrow. Now I'll watch until at least 10 o'clock. And I'm watching and it's like, it's five all in the fifth. I mean, it's fifth inning and it's zero, zero. I'm like, I've got to go to bed. It's like, I know something great and exciting is going to happen. Now, what I am saying is this. I love watching the Red Sox uh, in October. Uh, and uh, it's super exciting. It's like, this is fun stuff. And it, there is a sense of like, this gives you great joy. But what I'm also saying is, this is like temporary, superficial joy. As much as I love it. I mean, it's like going to a party, you know. Going to a party that you want to go to a party to and enjoying the party is fun. But it's not the deeper kind of joy and satisfaction that you want to have living your life. Uh, I, and I want to talk about like this sort of deeper joy, this joy that... You're joyful even though you might be going through difficulties or a frustrating season or a difficult season. It's like having a great vacation or spending a great day on the beach. Or let me get my season sorted out. Uh, powder day skiing. We're not quite there yet. We're kind of in between. Maybe seeing awesome foliage. Yeah, there we go. Awesome foliage. I mean, it's great. You love it. And it's uplifting and it's enjoyable and who doesn't want to spend a great day snow skiing, snowboarding in powder or in the summer, you know, great day? You want that. That's normal. That's great. But that's not the sort of stuff that 
sustains you overall and has you, gives you this sort of deep-seated joy. You want that, but you also want a sense of meaning, a sense of joy, a sense of a life of giving thanks. And that's what I want to talk about uh, today. Hopefully you're enjoying the series that we're doing out of the book of Colossians. We've titled this series, Expecting Joy. And there is a sense where you follow Christ, you should expect joy, you should uh, not just expect it, but you should experience it. And today I want to talk about joy overflowing, uh, or being overflowing with thankfulness and giving thanks. I, I want to talk about that today. Uh, if you've missed some of the previous uh, sermons, you might want to pick it up on a podcast and, and listen to some of them, or uh, if you're not podcast savvy, uh, it's not really that complicated. Download the app, and if you get stuck, just ask your teenager. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you just sort of in your church. Or you can go to our webpage and listen to the past uh, sermon series. Uh, but today I have titled the message, Joy Overflowing. And I want to look at this section in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verse 6. So why don't you pull out your bulletin insert? You know, one of the reasons I, I give an insert is because when I go down all these rabbit trails, and you go home, and you're like, what was it all about again? Then you can pull out your insert and say, yeah, well, he was trying to make some points. And uh, yeah, I vaguely remember him mentioning this and that. So, you know, uh, it, it's helpful. I want to risk sharing a personal story. Uh, and, and this is a big risk that I'm taking uh, because I'm walking a very fine line between uh, expressing tremendous amount of joy and tremendous amount of thankfulness and also kind of like bragging, you know, and I don't really want to brag, but I do want to be grateful and thankful. Now, you can put up a slide of my daughter's wedding two weeks ago. Okay, like I'm just like a really proud dad. I, I just I just am, you know, uh, and I'm proud. I'm really proud of my daughter. Uh, it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, my gosh. This was an incredibly great wedding where my daughter just really, really loves Jesus. And this started sort of coming out in the, in the wedding in every uh, facet of, of, of the ceremony and the service. And uh, it's also one of those things where you realize, wait a bit, this is a transformation in our lives where when we do a marriage, there, there's something which is super significant. Or should I say this, when you do a Christian or a Jesus-focused marriage, there's something really significant. Meaning, the point of the ceremony is to make vows before God and before friends and family. And then there's another significant event where it's the leave and cleave. It's like, okay, this is my responsibility now at this ceremony comes to an end, and there's another guy that's going to be like taking over. You know, it's it's significant. But the point is, it's not how great the photos are or how great the food was or, or you know, can I get this perfect photo so they're on Facebook? It's just going to look awesome. You know, that's what many weddings have become. Uh, what I'm saying as a pastor, for me, the most important part of the wedding is what are you saying to God, your vows and that commitment before God and before friends. And so, my daughter gets married. She doesn't ask me to do the, 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 the ceremony, thankfully. She doesn't even ask her own pastor at the Ithaca Vineyard to do it, who's got a great last name, by the way. His na last name is Davis. I mean, that's just really a... 
And his wife's name is Elizabeth. I mean, just an incredible thing. Uh, fortunately, she goes by Betty. My wife's Elizabeth, for those of you that don't know my wife. Uh, anyway, he doesn't marry her. No, the, the ceremony gets done by a person who just made a huge impact in her life as a teenager. Down in, uh, we've got a thing called Project Timothy, where our youth go down and... Uh, this guy had really spoken into their lives when they were teenagers, and Megan asked, you know, could he, I asked him if he would do the ceremony, he said, yes, he'd, he'd love to do it. So, yeah, so, that, you know, we just had this great ceremony, and I was just really, really proud of my daughter uh, on how she did it. I mean, I was kind of blown away, you know, I walked her down the aisle, I handed her off, and then, unlike m most weddings, Megan had decided, okay, now we're going to worship. And I'm like, what? And so we just like, okay, so she had like these really unbelievable musicians from South America as part of the church, and they were doing live violin and piano, and we were just worshiping before we even got going in the ceremony. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, uh, you know, just, this is just really makes me as a dad super, super proud. So I, I want to talk about uh, this because this is the sort of thankfulness. This is a sort of deeper joy. You know, I, I could have a stressful week, which I've I feel like I've had. But on the other hand, there's this underlying joy of like, I'm really proud of my daughter. I'm really love the guy that she's married. I'm really greatly thankful to God for the choices that my daughter has made up until this point and for how this is all being guided by the Lord. You can see the Lord's hand in it. You can see miraculous uh, miracles that happen for them building up to this event. And it, it's that kind of a joy, and it's that kind of thankfulness that I want to uh, press into today. So let me just pray. Uh, Jesus, I invite your spirit to be here. Lord, I, I recognize that uh, each person here has burdens, has worries, has desires that uh, aren't, haven't yet been fulfilled, perhaps. But on the other hand, Lord, I recognize that when you're with us, when you speak to us, when you guide us, when you're in control of our lives, we look back with tremendous thankfulness and joy, and we deeply desire your involvement and your transformation of our lives by you, Lord Jesus. So I just invite you to empower my preaching and uh, put power on your word. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be present in this, in this sermon. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you made your way to Colossians, or if you're on your phone, just uh, click there. I'm doing the New Living Translation. And I want to read this really um, powerful little section here in Colossians. In Colossians uh, 2.6, it says this, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him. And let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Okay, just note that phrase. This is a promise from God for you and for me. And we can take this promise to the bank. This, this is a dependable, reliable promise of Jesus. This is something that we can all experience, that you will overflow with thankfulness. You will. You will overflow with thankfulness. And I'm talking about that deep kind of thankfulness that you just like, I am so grateful 
for having God in my life. I'm not talking about the little bumps along the road where you get frustrated and, and you have difficulties. That's normal. Uh, but I am talking about you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, notice the build-up here. The, I mean, the Apostle Paul is just packing some big punches in a few short sentences here. He says, just as you accepted Christ as your Lord, that is the starting point. You know, you can talk about Jesus, you can read about Jesus, you can try and prove Jesus to others uh, or even to yourself, but until you accept Jesus, until you've received Jesus, Jesus will just seem a mystery. Uh, you can know a little bit about him, you can become intellectual, but you won't know him. You'll only know him when you've received him. So the Apostle Paul is saying, just as you've accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, and he in the same sentence, it doesn't stop there. For many people, that's like the end point. Receive Jesus and then it's like, okay, let me just do whatever I was going to do. No, he says, just you must continue to follow him. You receive him and then you walk one foot in front of the other. It's a daily walk. It's a lifelong walk where you continue to follow him. Not just for a short season, not just on Sunday morning, but every day, all day, every week, every month, you continue to follow him. It says, let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. I mean, he's putting Jesus first. You're building from him. You're putting your foundation on him. You're getting your direction from him. You're getting sustained by him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Then you will be strong and you will overflow with thankfulness. And uh, I would just suggest that that's just a wonderful little uh, text that we have that we need to be reminded of again and again. Let your roots go deep. Don't get distracted by the difficulties of your life. Stay focused on Jesus and who he is and the promises he has for us. But then look what happens in this very next uh, section. This this, this uh, section that we're looking at, it just changes very quickly. In verse 8, it says, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. Whoa. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, as a Christian, you have two different options. You're either going to follow Jesus, and it's a narrow path. Uh, it's a wonderful path, but you need to choose Jesus. Or you can choose everybody else's wisdom and what everybody else is saying and how everybody else is suggesting that you, you live your life. And uh, when they conflict, when there's a conflict uh, with what Jesus is saying, uh, Jesus is saying you will lose joy. Uh, you will choose what everybody else is saying, and it's going to be broken. Let me just read this again. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also, com you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You know, the Bible is saying to us, look, Jesus is large and in charge. It's telling us that there's many different ways of thinking about how we should live our lives. And 
Jesus is telling us in this quick little verse here that some of these philosophies actually have uh, power attached to them, which is unseen. And what just seems to be like, you know, an innocent little way of living your life, there's actually spiritual power, good and bad. And Jesus is saying, choose his way, choose his power. I want to talk about two practical ways of, of te teasing this out. I want to talk about uh, sex and money. I mean, what great topic. I mean, great. Yeah, yeah, church on Sunday morning. I'm sure you were just excited. Sex and money, right. Yeah, it, no, but I, I say that because in these two topics, there's two totally different ways of living our lives. You can either choose the way Jesus is saying it, or you can choose what everybody else is saying. And there's plenty of other opinions. And fortunately, uh, what Jesus is saying, what the Bible is saying, is super simple. It's not really complicated. I mean, it really is super simple. But everybody else's philosophies are very complicated. I mean, it depends on this, and you just don't know my circumstance and my situation. And No, uh, Jesus is saying from the beginning of the Bible to the end, regarding sexuality, it's very simple. You abstain until you're married. When you're married, you remain faithful to your spouse. And being married means one man, one woman, not multiple partners. And then you're faithful to the end. And when that's broken or when that ends, you abstain. Very simple. Very, very, very simple. But very difficult to live. And that's where we all have the challenge. Each one of us has to wrestle with our sexuality. And each one of us has to wrestle which, which way are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Are we going to do what God is asking us to do? It's pretty simple, but it's difficult. Or do you do what everybody else is saying? Let me just suggest this. And I'm so glad the teenagers are in, for those that are in. It is possible to abstain until you get married. I mean, as far as I know, I think that's what my, my, my daughter and her husband did. And I'm embarrassed to say that because it feels like I'm bragging and whatever. But at some point, can somebody please stand up and say it is possible and there are role models and this is the way you should live. Not only that you should live this way, but you can. And not only you can, it's the best way to do it. Honestly, when I reflect back on my life, I, I, I would say this. I wish I had got married younger, not older. I wish I'd have got married early. I got married when I was 28. I mean, it wasn't that late. But my 20s, you know, when I look back at them, I'm like, they're not the greatest time in my life. I mean, I was doing things and saying things and being things that, like, weren't that great. I would have been way better off. Well, firstly, I only received Christ when I was 28. And then, like, my life dramatically changed. I mean, it was short measure thereafter, Liz and I got married after never, ever wanting to get married. For me, getting married was the worst thing in the world. When I received Christ, that'd be like a 180. I wanted to get married quickly, like really quickly. Uh, so what I am saying is, when my kids got married, I was like, whoa, man, they're young, especially my son. It's like, you're only 24. Now when I reflect on it, it's like, whoa, they did a way better job than I did. I mean, like, who wants to get married and bring in all this baggage of other relationships into your marriage. You don't want to do that. You want to get married like if you can abstain until you get, you get married. I'm just putting out what God's ideals are. And I know as I'm saying this, you know, there's a tremendous amount of guilt and like other expression feelings. 
yeah, 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 we can, we, we can deal with it. I just want to put out what God's saying, because when we do it God's way, there's a tremendous uh, benefit and payoff uh, for us. Many of you are familiar with uh, Proverbs 22.6. I don't have it as a slide. Uh, and some of you are familiar with it in the New King James Version, which is train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Or in the New Living Translation, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, this is what the Lord is saying to us. Like instruct your kids, teach your kids. I also know that, you know, for all the best parental training and coaching, uh, your kids have free will. They may or may not listen to you. You might have done the best job possible as a parent, and your kids could still make bad choices. On the other hand, you could do a lousy job as a parent and not give any instruction. Your kids could just make awesome choices. I mean, that's the reality. But I am saying this, as I reflect back on my daughter, particularly my son, but on my daughter, just because, you know, she's getting married. There were some things which just seemed to really greatly help her in this path. One was being involved in our children's ministry right from the get-go. I mean, it was just like the natural thing for her to just go to church and be part of our children's ministry. And I tell you, we have a fantastic children's ministry program with Debbie Dean uh, leading it and many of you volunteering in it. I could not recommend our children's program more highly for you that have kids in our children's ministry. But the other thing that, I, that made this massive, massive impact on my daughter was when she was here at this church as a teenager in youth ministry. And I was just like so unbelievably blessed to have a youth pastor by the name of Laura Bowman uh, who invested heavily in Megan and took Megan on the very first Project Timothy trip down to Pennsylvania, the guy that ended up now uh, doing the wedding ceremony for them. Uh, and because... You know, as a teenager, you realize as a parent, you've got less and less influence and control on your kids. And their peers have more and more and more influence and control. And so as a youth pastor, they have a lot of influence that as parents, you don't have. And I also got to tell you, with our youth pastor, Sarah, Sarah Watson, your teenagers have an unbelievable opportunity to be mentored and shaped and molded in the ways of the Lord. They just... This is just a tremendous blessing that you can't, uh, you, you, you know, you can encourage your kids to go into, but you can't force them into it. So I, I am saying that this is a, a great um, opportunity for raising your kids in the Lord and seeing them uh, blessed by it. Yeah, okay, I've got a lot to say and a little time to say it. But this idea of choosing uh, human thinking or God's thinking, let me just say this. When we talk about sexuality and we look at the, 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 the situation that we find ourselves in today, we can get very discouraged because we can feel like, man, this world has got a lot of problems. I want to just suggest to you that in the world of the Bible, the sexual issues were way worse than they are currently. We are not living in a time when it's worse than when it was in the Bible. I mean, think of this. Imagine in biblical times, uh, where temples and prostitution were intercommingled. In other words, if you wanted, you would go to a male prostitute or you would go to a female prostitute as part of your temple worship. Uh, this was normal. It was part of society. The kids were watching this and, and seeing this. I mean, there's nothing that we involved in or seeing or part of today that's 
that dramatic. God is saying in those days and in these days, no, no, abstain until you get married. Be faithful to your spouse. I mean, it was dramatic then and it's dramatic now. And there's tremendous pull in by others to tell you, no, there's a better way, a different way. You know, that's old fashioned. You choose either you know, worldly wisdom or God's wisdom. Now, it is true that like sexting on phones today is a big issue. I mean, there's an article I was reading this week in the Wall Street Journal, my favorite uh, <coughs> newspaper, uh, on, se on sexting. And they were, in this article, they were suggesting that if your kid is nine years old or older, you need to be having a discussion about sexting because it's just so prolific and the issues and the problems that are uh, involved with that. So I am saying it's like, yeah, the discussion needs to happen at a, at a young age. And then when I was doing our insurance policy here for the church and, the, and then the insurance broker comes and he said, look, the main issue today at churches is sexual issues. And he says the real issue is teenagers on teenagers. And he said the number of lawsuits and stuff is just like crazy. To say it's not a real issue, it's a real issue. And to say that there's like many different opinions on how you should uh, live sexually uh, everybody's got an answer until it goes wrong. And then like, they just abandon you, you know? Uh, but I am saying that you choose the Lord, you choose the Lord's way of doing things. It will pay off in the long run. You will be blessed. And I encourage you to do that. See it as a guardrail. Like what barriers, what guardrails are you putting in to protect yourself from falling off and use biblical guardrails? That's, that's really all I want to say on this thing. Now, money. Okay, sex was easy. Let's talk about money. Well, this... <laughs> oh, this is a light subject. Okay, okay, we can laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, in the world, I mean, I think the biggest issue here that I see as a pastor is debt. I mean, everybody's got advice on how to manage your money. And if you're in debt, credit card debt, 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 countries are in debt, corporations are in debt, individuals are in debt. And the Bible is saying exactly the opposite. It says, don't get in debt. Under no circumstances get in debt, maybe for a mortgage in your house, but like no other reason, no debt, uh, no student debt, whatever you do, don't sign a loan for your kid's college. Like that's called surety. And the Bible has strong words about that. It says, don't do it. Uh, look what it does say. Proverbs 22, 26. Don't agree to guarantee another person's debt or put up security for someone else. Don't sign college debt for your kids. Proverbs 22, 7. Just as the rich rule over the poor, so the borrower is a servant to the lender. Get this in your head. God says to be blessed. What it means to be blessed financially as a Christian is that you will be the head and not the tail. And what God is saying, when you get in debt, this proverb becomes pertinent. You will become a servant to the lender. God doesn't want you to be a servant to the lender. He wants you to be the lender. He wants you to be generous. He wants you to be giving. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. Proverbs 21, 26. Some people are always greedy for more, but godly love to give. I mean, it's a simple formula. You save first and then you spend. If you don't have the money, you don't spend it. But the world's formula is saying, ah, oh, but you can like, you know, credit card alone. You can commingle credit cards. You can add another one and switch them. And then you've got a store credit. They'll give you a 20% discount. It gets so complicated. So complicated. You know, God's way is so simple. You just like, you have the money, like 
real cash. You do. You've paid off all your bills. Spend it and enjoy it. You don't. Don't do it. Be generous. I mean, God says, look, live with your finances in a totally different way. He says, you can keep 90% of what you got, but give 10% to the Lord. And we're like, no, I'm not like wealthy enough. I can't afford that. And blah, 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 blah. You're never going to be wealthy enough. You're never going to be able to afford it. You either do it God's way and be blessed or do it your own way and you're on your own. Let's uh, sum this all up in verse 11. It says this. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, you can live according to the way of the world, or you can live according to God's way. God's way is this. You give your life to Jesus, you put your roots down in Him, you get baptized, and God does a transformation. Call it circumcision. He's saying it's a spiritual transformation. He's going to cut away all the gump in your life, and He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you to live a life of holiness and overcome all the odds and to get through all the difficulty and to give you joy. And you will experience what God is saying. You will overflow with thankfulness if you're willing to let God be in control of your life. And if you will pursue God and follow God, God's promises are dependable. And I'm just saying, as I reflect back on my daughter, you know, it's like, God, you have been faithful. Your promises have, be, have, have come true. And I'm greatly thankful. Friends, I just want to encourage you. Do the godly thing. Live your life according to the Lord. Receive Him. You know, what happened in your life before you became a Christian is pretty simple. God just forgives you. The bigger question is when you are a, a Christian, how do you continue and go? And, you know, when you mess up, how do you get back on the right path of the Lord? And I want to say this. The Lord is gracious. He is forgiving. You know, from the, the beginning of the Bible to the end, people have been involved in sexual sin, sexual problems. And God gets so frustrated and people's lives are so ruined. But God, again and again, is like, okay, I want to help you out. I, I, I want to get you going again. I want to bless you again. And he does. And you see the stories in the Bible of how God just restores and encourages and believes in us and is for us and not against us. God loves us. He wants us to be blessed. But he wants us to have enough gumption to say, God, I need you. I am battling with my sexuality. I'm battling with my finances. God, I need you. I need your help. I need your direction. And God, give me the guts to just live it out the way you are telling me through the Holy Spirit to live it out. And God will. But you've got to realize that this is not just a simple matter. You are dealing with something stronger. There is a power associated with sexuality and money, which is outside of the normal realm. It's a spiritual power. There's a dynamic going on there, and you need to depend on God to break those things. It's not easy, but it is possible, and God will give you the ability to overcome it, and you will live a life of joy and of thankfulness. Say no more. 
Jesus, I just thank you for these people. I am actually greatly thankful for every person here today. Lord, I am grateful that there are many willing and desiring more of you, not less of you. And Lord, I thank you as we get together and we share our struggles and our frustrations. We also hear the stories, Lord, of how you've encouraged and how you've loved and how you've supported each one of us. And Lord, I just pray your blessing on your people. Lord, that we can truly wake up and say it's a new day and you're for us and you're with us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.